One Percenters, welcome back to another episode of the One Percent Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me today, this week. I'm your host, David Nurse, and I know it's just been a crazy time, but I hope you guys all out there are taking advantage of this time, not just sitting around and twiddling your thumbs and waiting for this time to end, but but really diving into searching and improving yourself and improving the ones around you and, and speak positivity into people and speak encouragement to, into others because that's what's going to speak encouragement into others and others and others. And you can be that igniter, that light starter for people around you. This week on the 1% podcast, we have a very special guest, someone who was named the world's best brain trainer by Sports Illustrated, working with people from Harvard Business School to elite quarterbacks to CEOs. He works very closely with Russell Wilson, where they started a company called Limitless Minds Together, which optimized performance and a rich culture in some of the world's top organizations and elite performers. He's worked with Nick Saban, national champions, NBA teams, you name it, he's done it. And he now has a book out as well called It Takes What It Takes, How to Think Neutrally and Gain Control of Your Life. Trevor Moad is a wealth of knowledge and we go super in-depth on the mindset that it takes for the highest level athletes to perform at the highest level. And he, he does a very beautiful job of just breaking it down specifically on what thinking neutrally actually means. Not about just building yourself up with this positivity that doesn't, that's, that's not truth, but no living in the truth and then how to turn it to think neutrally but kick yourself into gear me and trevor go back and forth on on so many mindsets and there's a lot a lot of takeaways there's a lot of meat to this one so please buckle up get ready because here we go and here it is chili pad chilitechnology.com these guys are my favorite not just because their product is amazing and ChiliPad actively manages the body's temperature to deliver a magical, deep sleep, great REM. Makes you feeling like you've woken up, just fully rested and recovered to attack the day. But the people they are. I know them well, and they are some of the best people that will care for you. Make sure that you are absolutely getting the most out of every night's sleep. And think about it, too. You're going to save a ton of money just because you don't have to turn the air conditioner down to 60 degrees this chili pad or the Uller, it's going to regulate your body's temperature to sleep in the cold. Cool sleep is magical sleep. And luckily for you, they're great friends of mine and they've given me a code to give you a super discount. DNBball25 at checkout gets you 25% off the chili pad. DNBball10 gets you 10% off the Uller at checkout. Go to chilitechnology.com. All of this will be linked in the show notes and start sleeping like a baby today. Trevor Molad, welcome to the 1% podcast. Start us off with a bang. Start us off with something maybe nobody really knows about you, something something different. Uh, You know, well, I think, first of all, I'm I'm a huge Toronto FC and Toronto Raptors fan. Yeah, baby. I'm I'm a big Nick Nurse fan. All right. All right. We the North. I love it. Yeah, that's, you know, let's start off, start us off with the bang. And, and I'm, I'm going to test your skills, Nick. Can you tell us who, who, who the highest paid player is on Toronto FC in your dad's hometown? 
uh, where he coaches. Can you tell on the soccer side who the highest paid player? The highest player. He's my uncle. My uncle. Highest paid player. Your uncle. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Steve Nash is just a guess because maybe he owns part of the team. Well, he owns part of Vancouver, but it's okay. Uh, it's the young. It's the young man named uh, Josie Altador. Oh, I know Josie Altador. Yeah, he was yeah. a he was a stud. I know the name. I follow it. You get a little slack because I, it's your uncle. I love my <laughs> uncle, uh, but you know it's not quite the same pressure that if it were, if it was your pop. So anyways, <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, excited to join. Thanks, man. Uh, I think it's a good one. What a great opportunity. I think this window of time, we have, we all have, have exactly what tomorrow is going to look like, uh, but we're, we're planning as best we can. So uh, excited to jump on, excited to join you. Beautifully said. And let's let's dive into it. So you have a very interesting background as you were a college athlete, Occidental College down yeah. here in Los Angeles. And, and what a lot of people will come to me and I'm sure come to you are asking them, how can I stay in sports? Maybe I'm not the most gifted. Maybe the doctor was wrong when he said I was supposed to be six foot eight and I'm not. But how can I stay in sports at a very high level? And you figured that out in pivoting your life from being all based on an athlete to basically creating your own space. How, how did you go about making that life pivot? You know, that's a that's a great question, and and I've I've said thought a little bit about it as you know for the first time putting a book together. But uh, you know, I, I uh, had a core. Um, Thing that uh, I've always sort of tried to be mindful of of my strengths. So, you know, nice. going to uh, I went to a private school. My graduating class was about fifty. Uh, I went to to school for twelve years with fifteen of them. Twenty two of my classmates went to the Ivy League. Um, I was always surrounded by by really really talented people aptitude-wise, athletically, academically. I just had a great group of people that I sort of matriculated with that have all you know, been successful in their own ways. And I think as it related to aptitude and gifts and talent, I was probably way on the back end, uh, but I wanted all the same things that they got. So it really forced me from a social Darwinistic perspective uh, to create behaviors that were going to allow me to get what they got. So Nice. Uh, if, if, if I was going to do uh, an AP English course um, and get a four or a five on the test and, you know, my good friend that went to Dartmouth, Kevin Lappin, was going to do it uh, every night, it would take me three and a half hours to do the homework. It would take him an hour. I never judged it. I never worried about it. I just built in the time each day uh, to do what I needed to do to be good. And then I think ultimately, uh, you know, and I wanted to be a college athlete and I certainly wasn't. Uh, you didn't have the doors knocking down, but I also wanted a really good academic experience and I wanted a really good, well-rounded experience. So going to a place like Occidental College was a great Division three school um, that would allow me to do theater, music, join a fraternity, uh, but also give me the opportunity to play soccer and basketball. Basketball was great. I wasn't a star, but you know I was able to play at a, a, you know at a high level. We would play against Cal State Fullerton and play against mm-hmm. some others, but really just good small college league, which was great and. And I was, you know, uh, you know, I had a good experience and I think soccer gave me a chance to be more of a star. And I just got to do a lot of things, which built my well-rounded, uh, you know, which has always been sort of a characteristic of me. And, and from there, I always was, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, Dave, but I was always kind of like, 
the most inspirational, the captain yep. award, <laughs> the coaches award. Uh, so I was kind of a natural when I was uh, graduating and I was uh, going to go to uh, get my master's, but to go into education. And I didn't know that I wanted to be a teacher, but I knew that that educating and leading was was something I did have some aptitude towards. So I went into education and I was trying to play pro soccer uh, and did, you know, did two years as a graduate assistant, played an extra season of soccer. And then I started teaching in LA Unified School District, which was an awesome experience for me. Uh, I came from a, a privileged environment and now I had 45 students, 35 desks. Um, you know, uh, it, it was a very, it was like classroom management wise. It was like Harvard. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was really, really, uh, great for me to kind of do those two years and learn how to get in front of an audience like that. Now, you know, I started teaching when I was 21 years old, um, and I was teaching seniors and juniors that were 18, 17, 19. Um, so it was an incredible, uh, experience for me. Um, but I didn't like teaching. Um, I didn't like teaching uh, uh, social sciences, but I liked being in front of people and I liked educating. So in my four years, I would teach and coach. It w- I would be fortunate enough to go to a coaching clinic at the Nick Voluntary Tennis Academy, which would expose me to uh, a guy named Jeff Troche, who was the director of sports psychology. And I hadn't heard a lot about sports psychology, even though my dad was kind of a motivational educator. Uh, and it was fascinating. You know, I heard him and he did this uh, hour presentation in front of 500 coaches and it was awesome. Um, and then ultimately I would write him, get an internship, and that would start me down the road of uh, this industry. And then from there, I would have eight to 10 hours of teaching every day from mm-hmm. 150 tennis players to 12 soccer players to 40 executives. Um, it, it was just all over the place. And uh, plus, you know, picking Derek Jeter up at the airport, uh, 12 NFL combine athletes, uh, you know, all things like I wasn't good enough to do, uh, but I learned how to do it. And then ultimately, by being pretty good and by building some relevance and a little bit of media exposure, I, uh, that was really the beginning of sort of the launch of my career in, in pro sports that coincided with uh, – you know, being the sports psychology consultant mm. at the same time for a young superstar uh, soccer player named Freddie Adu. I was, uh, I got 12 years to, to learn how to become good at it. Um, you know, and then I went into sports in Alabama and Florida State and Georgia, and I got, in, I got integrated into a really good coaching model. And I didn't pick sports like the NBA or others that were really player-driven. They were, they were more coach-driven where the leadership could say, philosophically, we we're going to aggregate the marginal gains. So we're going to, into, we're going to imp- implement uh, strength conditioning, mental conditioning, uh, fatigue science, nutrition, and, and we're going to consistently make them a part of what we do. And if a player wants to complain, you know, that player is not going to get anywhere. This is going to be a part of what we do. But we're also going to hire people that are really capable that can engage our audience. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, uh, 14 years in SEC and college football, uh, nine years in the NFL, uh, four different years in the NBA, which I just sucked at every year. Um, and, <laughs> uh, uh, and then, you know, I think in the military and then now really focusing more on business. And I think mm-hmm. uh, my last point, kind of answering your question in a long winded way, the, the bigger goal now is, you know, how do you impact more people, David? Yeah. And you're not, yep. you're not impacting 
enough people when it's 85 college football players in Athens, Georgia. Um, you know, uh, the goal based upon some people asking me and challenging me, you know, maybe you have a voice that's bigger than 85 athletes in Georgia. Maybe you have something to say uh, to a broader community, uh, a region, a state, uh, a country. So, uh, you know, I, I'm no Tony Robbins, but that's been the mission. Um, and that's kind of what we're working towards. Man, that's beautiful. I mean, you sound very similar to myself, which juices me up here in this, your mindset. And first of all, Occidental College is a very, very good college. And I would put you in the top three all-timers there. I'd put probably you, Obama, and my, my good friend, David Meltzer. So I'm putting you number one Meltzer, from Occidental. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meltzer's my guy. Dave, Dave was a football legend, yep. Yeah, yeah. I really like how you talked about being well-rounded, the importance of being well-rounded, but focusing on your strength. I think that's a thing that a lot of people in the world will tell us we have to raise our weaknesses. How do you make your weaknesses better? But we're all given a gift, a certain gift. Like when I work with NBA players, Kyle Korver is one of the guys I've worked with. We're not working on anything other than the best, other than making him the best shooter he can possibly be. So we have different strengths for a reason to put them together to make the ultimate team. And, And I love how you how you do that. And I know that you focus on that as well. And we'll get into that. Uh, A big thing that's really, that's, that's really inspirational for myself and for a lot of other people out there looking at your story is you were working with some great players. You were at IMG. That's a high, I mean, that's very high level Academy, but then taking the step and taking the risk to go out on your own. A lot of people will want to do it, but taking that leap and taking that chance, it's not, it's, it's not easy. How did you go about, being where you were at and then okay i'm gonna go work with individual players individual teams and you've worked with some of the best nick saban russell wilson i mean it doesn't get better than that as far as mindset is is concerned yeah you know it's interesting and i I get asked that often because when you work for coach saban you work in those environments you don't think that way i mean obviously when you're in the big moments you recognize like wow, I'm in the Rose Bowl and there's 103,000 people. <laughs> I went to school three miles from here and played in front of 87 people. Um, you know, you have moments like that that you, that you take inventory of. But I think, I, I think you know, you, you're, you're, you're not a consumer-facing part of the, the puzzle. And that's probably, I think, been the most difficult part for me transitioning into the business world and I look at the Gary Vaynerchuks and the Grant Cardones and all those yeah, guys yeah. who 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 are so good at look how fucking great I am, look how much money I've made, and if you mm-hmm. do these things, and 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 I never feel like they have any empathy. They're like you're 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 weak for not like you know I I don't know and, and you know like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk can stand on his wallet you know and and spit down on me and it's like rain <laughs> coming from five million feet above me and, and i get it you know and i don't even know i couldn't tell you what good wine was um but i'll go head to head with that i'll go head to head with them anytime and attempt to actually really helping somebody truthfully yes. Uh, yes and also where i've been versus where he's been relative to this industry so i'm not afraid of guys like that you know and i've never goal set to make money and i still don't i goal set to to achieve and make an impact uh, one of the ways to make an impact, obviously, is to make money. I'm learning that as well, particularly when, when you have windows like this. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, Dave, the, the, the point was, 
I had some help. So, so I kind of got to the top of IMG Academy in that in the top five, six of the, the four or 500 employees in Bradenton and built relevance internationally throughout IMG with the president and, and chairman. And, uh, but there were some, you know, unique political relationships and things like that, that concerned me about being at IMG Academy. My wife and I just bought a beautiful home at a country club in Sarasota. Um, but I just, I, I heard about my future and my ability to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I had always been connected to athletes performance Institute, uh, API and, um, which ultimately became Exos and many of their top performers were in Bradenton at what we called IPI, the international performance Institute and left, uh, with Adidas to start API. So Mark Verstegen and I'd been really competitive. We'd gone head to head on an NFL PA bid to build a, a, this wellness facility for the NFL former players. We'd had some military contracts. I had almost beat them, but I'd lost. But they knew that I, was, I shouldn't have even been anywhere as competitive. So they wanted me out of Bradenton. They offered me a great deal. You know, vice president of pro sports, do whatever I want to do in the mindset, sports psychology space, good money, equity in the business, moved to Arizona. I'm from the West Coast. So uh, my wife and I did that. Um, and uh, uh, it seemed like just it was going to be the perfect fit. Um, and, you know, by the second day, I was like, man, the company's great. The people are great. But I just knew it was the wrong move. Um, and so that was tough and, and, and took us nine minutes, uh, nine months to sell our house in Florida. We're going back and forth. And it really started my wife and I probably down a track of disconnection that, uh, you know, that, that if I could go back, I certainly would have changed, uh, among other things. Uh, you know, and I address those in the book. But uh mm. Uh, but the willingness to take that step, which I believe was really more out of like, I don't know, uh, you know, I want to constantly be in a position to grow. I know you do, too. Um, and and, um, and I just I just didn't feel that way. And I wasn't going to try to leverage IMG. And it was interesting. They, they tried to stop me from leaving. And, you know, we'll do this. And I was like, look, man, you know, like you've showed me how you feel about me by the way you behave. These guys want me. I'm going to go here. Yeah. Um, so I went and, you know, it was a, it was a great two year. My dad was always, you got to work someplace for two years. I worked there for 24 months. People were great. Obviously it's one of the best training centers in the world. Um, and, uh, it got me back on the West coast and, and then, you know, uh, the last couple of months I was there, I, I sat down with Mark Sagan, Jeff Sassone said, this is what I want to do. Can you guys help me do this? They were great. Um, I secured, basically a, a contract with Russell, uh, with Alabama and with Florida state that, that gave me a little bit of flexibility for two years. Um, each wasn't a lot of money. I hired three young guys and an intern. Um, I had a deal with the Grizzlies that, you know, put, put some money in the bank. Um, and, uh, uh Chris Wallace and Joe body. And, uh, you know, so we kind of jumped in and, and went, uh, you know, I wasn't a huge believer in the sports psychology industry, but the whole goal was to pivot into business, uh, yeah. which my dad had been really successful in. <clears throat> and uh, so uh, that's what happened. And, and we and we started down that road. And and then I think some uh, some really good things came out of that. Uh, Maria Shriver, uh, yep. John F. Kennedy's niece, you know, she uh, she had called, wanted to meet. Uh, I flew out to Los Angeles to meet with her. I didn't really know much about her. And she challenged me. She said, you know, instead of 150 athletes, you got a voice for 150 million people. You don't have Instagram. You don't have Twitter. You don't have Facebook. 
you know, you, and you, and you're teaching this message that's not about positive, but less negative. And you're talking about neutral. No one knows what that is. And yet you all these athletes are talking about it. And, and then I didn't think of any of that as innovative. Uh, I, I've never signed more than a one year contract typically with teams. And if I, I just can't teach, you know, all the bullshit that's coming out of Silicon Valley <laughs> or, you know, all the other things. And it's not that growth mindset and all those things don't have value. Um, it, uh, it's just, you know, it, yeah. when your message is 85 athletes, it, it just had to be different. So I never really thought much about it, but Maria was great. Cause she started me down that road that really opened my mind because it was a Kennedy asking me to serve, you know what I mean? Man. And, uh, and so then we got fortunate, you know, Harper Collins read a small little article in the San Francisco Chronicle after Russell Wilson and I had done a TV show, you know, John Gruden went to the, uh, the, you know, left, uh, you know, the, the football camp show went to the Raiders. They asked Russell Wilson to jump in for five episodes. He said, I'm only going to do it. If I did it, if I do this show with my mental coach, uh, the guy, uh, that runs Monday night football said, mental coaching stupid uh, we're not <laughs> we're not doing that russell said no problem um but i'm not going to do your show then so they brought me in and and reese davis called him and said hey this guy's the real deal and i sat down the guy's like hey, you know like trevor we're not trying to be disrespectful but what you do is stupid and nobody wants the tony robbins techno dance i said wow. i don't know anything about tony robbins techno dance uh, or any of that thing but you know <laughs> like that ain't that's not really how i do it but uh and so, but ultimately, you know, we did uh, five th uh, 30 minute episodes and I got five to 10 minutes each episode with, with Russ and Baker Mayfield, Russ and Saquon Barkley. Uh, it, it was a really good uh, a door opener for me. I wasn't positioned to grow after that because I didn't have PR, social media platforms to take it to the next level, but it, it, it was fun. Um, and, and, uh, and then I think it, you know, it, it got Harper one and Harper Collins to see it. We got an opportunity to write the book and, uh, you know, now it's the beautiful. book is, is got off to a good start. Um, and, um, so, you know, now the goal is ubiquitous. How do we help more people? Uh, that's first. And then, you know, and then I'm also, as I'm in my mid forties now, Dave, like I'm, I'm also probably more conscious of, you know, I live in Manhattan beach as you live in Marina del Rey. Like I need money to survive. And so, <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not just going to let, uh, and I've gone into the business world, which from a peak performance and mental conditioning and optimization and all those, you know, whatever you call it, you know, the industry, I, I, I'm not going to defer to other people and say, well, that guy's better, you know, like, uh, because it. they're not. And, and, uh, and, but they may be more successful where they're at uh, because they haven't been in, in fairness, like, wasting their time at a college football program um, <laughs> where I might say I, you get combat points for that, but you don't make a lot of money, you know, but you have to be really good, you know, and you know that in order to engage a guy like Kyle Korver uh, or to engage a team or to engage a top player, uh, you got to be, you know, really good. Particularly when you go in there, you know, eight, nine times for 18 to 25 days a year, uh, you have to establish relevance, not with everybody, but with important people. So uh, that's where we're at right now. Uh, it takes what it takes is really this idea about neutral thinking, um, which is a focus on the, the belief that less negative is more powerful than more positive. Um, and that that uh, when bad things happen, they're real. 
but they're not predictive. They don't determine what happens next. What we do determines what happens next. And that's where negativity is so powerful. Um, uh, and negativity is almost 70 times more powerful than positivity. Yeah. So we have to be really mindful of that. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, I, my, my, my point to a lot of people uh, that are listening to this, I know you got a, a very active audience, is, is be really mindful of, of, of you know, uh, obviously what you say out loud, which is 10 times more powerful than what you're thinking, but what you're watching right now. Yes. You know, Garth Brooks sent me an email uh, because, you know, part of my book talks about the, the dangers of country music. <laughs> Not that it's dangerous. Like I wasn't allowed to listen to it just because of its its emphasis on negativity growing up. And he's like, "Well, you know," and I just like, "Look, it is what it is. Like, it's really <laughs> yeah. sad. there's nothing wrong with sadness outside of the fact that sad music makes you sad. So, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. like, what, yeah. what, do you, what do you want me to say? Well, there's some. Ex- yeah, of course, there's some. That's not sad, but the vast majority of country music is sad. So, like. If you're listening to sad music during a pandemic, probably not smart. <laughs> Such a good point. Trevor, you hit on so many amazing points through that. Uh, there's a lot that I want to unpack with you. First of all, just your genuineness. I mean, we're talking about Gary Vee, Grant Cardone saying, hey, just you do this, you make the money. Like, yeah, of course we got to make money, but your genuineness is what's what makes the Russell Wilson stand up for you like that. It makes those people really realize how real you are. It's an it's it's easy in this this world to get caught up in the Instagram and what you can sell and putting on the fake hustle. But I love the genuineness that you bring. And and, and you're talking about how you got to where you're at. I mean, people will, will listen to that and uh, you're, you're very humble, but I, I, I know you worked your butt off making cold call after cold call to be able to get a job offer out of IMG. And it's it, it's in your blood of what you do is doing the best you can in the situation you're given, knowing that if you do, greater things will come. And we talked at the start about my uncle, Nick Nurse, who won the NBA championship after the first year of being a head coach in the NBA. And everybody's like, oh man, great first year head coach. But he's been doing it for 27 years in countries that don't even know what basketball really is, popping popcorn at halftime for the players. And and there's just so much, so much great stuff in there, man. And then the headphones that you wear, that's what I call them, the mental headphones that you put on. We are the people that we talk to 90% more than anybody else throughout the day. And what are you filling your mind with, positivity or negativity? And I want to jump into, because I love how you, in the book, have a different, you have a different spin. I'm all about having different pivots and mindset pivots to look at things from a different perspective. And you do as well in thinking neutrally. In in your book, It Takes What It Takes and How to Think Neutrally. Because I'm on the the mindset, and I know a lot of people are, of like, let's pump positivity into you. Right. But let's talk about thinking neutrally. Yeah. Yeah, which, well, you know, um, everything depends on your consumer. You know what I mean, Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, like, um, probably in 08, 09, uh, you know, my dad was the, uh, the president of the National Association for Self-Esteem. So I, I was, you know, uniquely in tune with the power of positive thinking and, and all those elements. But I, like, it just it wasn't resonating with the audience I had. So I was back more traditional like habits. And we studied a lot of case studies, what makes great athletes. But I, I ultimately wanted to get back to attitude. 
And I really started to, to see the power of, of eliminating negativity and yes. particularly language, talking about the heat, talking about the weather, particularly in the South where, you know, three practices, it's 105, <laughs> 90% humidity. And I, I could find data. I could find videos. I could find football examples, basketball examples where players would externalize negativity and then it would affect them negatively. Um, and, and way more yep. than I could find them externalizing positivity and affecting them positively. So I ultimately started, you know, by our first national championship at Alabama, by our, 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 uh, our, the start of our run at Florida state, I, I really got our guys to understand, uh, how, you know, the damage of negativity and externalizing it. And, and, and I really wasn't focusing on any other thing. And I called it learning how to be non-negative. And I'd found some data nice. in and around uh, children's books. Um, and, and so it wasn't something that I was being teaching. I had no idea about neutral. The term neutral has obviously been around for years more as a Western Asian philosophy. But th that's not how I was thinking when I would get there. That wasn't how I was thinking about it. So ultimately, you know, we were minimizing negativity. Um, and then, you know, really focused on habits and skills and, mm -hmm. and, you know, ways you can, ways you can do the things that winners do, but, but I wanted to get back to thinking. And so this idea of neutral kind of went to the car, like when things, when you're, when you're going backwards, you can't go forwards. Like you have to stop first. So like you, the car's got to go to neutral and then at neutral, you make a decision. I do something different. I go forward. I do something. I want to do the same things I was just doing. I go backwards. <laughs> But I, but I got to get to that. I got to downshift to neutral first. And so what I realized is if you are honest with players and people about bad things in their life or good things, uh, and you acknowledge that they happen, they appreciate it. The problem with people that are, that are, are, are positive is they try to say like, hey, I, yeah, I know we got all this shit going on, but fucking think about all the time you get to spend with your kids. Well, <laughs> You know, that is good, yeah. but like, I, I also thinking about the money I'm not making. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, it's a balance or, Hey, you know, like when I was going through my divorce, oh man, think about all the people you get to meet now. No, man, I got married for 12 years, so I didn't have to meet people. Anymore. <laughs> you know, like, so it was, it was this jump that I, that I appreciated people who could look at it that way, but it didn't make sense to me. You know, as opposed to just being like, hey, man, yeah. I know this is tough. I'm here for you. Um, I, I, I believe that you're going to get through this thing, but I know it's going to take time. You know, and, and that's not one way or the other. That's, you know, and right. it's going to take time. And, and then when you're ready, just be like, hey, you know, how are you doing? You want to go to dinner? You know, want, like, uh, and I think that that's so neutral is the past is real, good or bad. Yep. But what happens next is going to be a focus on my behavior. I'm going to compete. I'm going to do these things. And I'm thinking neutrally. I'm thinking about behavior, not outcomes. Positive thinking many times is connected to an outcome. Making money, winning, being successful, being the best. Negative thinking is, is a negative outcome. Neutral is more about this is what I'm going to do. You know, uh, so good. Yeah. I posted yesterday, you know, I, I had a, I've got some follow up to, I had a surgery. 
um, you know, that I'm on the back end of now, but I still got to go get my stitches and other things looked at, mm. which is scary enough when you got to go to Cedar Sinai at six in the morning and, you know, <laughs> and it's like, nobody's there. It's just, you know, it's a weird time to be at a hospital, but I trust them. They're obviously the best at what they do, but I went there and had a good, you know, good meeting. I was at 38 minutes or whatever and get in my car and, and I'm with, uh, um, uh, Sean, uh, or our digital content guy who, who's out here with me now and we're, we're posting content young buck and he's from Cleveland. So living in, uh, downstairs in the bottom floor of Manhattan beach isn't too bad for him. <laughs> and, uh, um, but we're jumping on, uh, heading down La Cienega, Dave, jumping on the, the 10 freeway ready to catch a four Oh five, literally like going 45, 50, just getting on the lane. Some lady, I don't know what was going on. Somebody bumped or whatever, just pulls into our lane, does a full 180 in front of us. We smoke, you know, car gets jacked man, up. Man, man. Two lanes completely, you know, and, um, you know, it was, it was really scary. And, uh, and yet navigating through it, everybody walking away from it, you know, two hours later, I'm on a webinar with 30,000 people because of how I navigated that moment, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and man. I didn't want to concede the day. And, and, uh, but I also mindful that I no longer have a Porsche Cayenne. Yeah, man, that's, uh, that's, that's so good. You don't let, you don't let your circumstances determine, determine your mindset, but you're also very honest with it. I, could, oh. I control the things I could control, yep. you know, and today, you know, today I had another follow-up appointment and, uh, had a different car and, and you know what? We didn't drive back on the 10th. We, <laughs> we took uh, La Cienega all the way down to Culver and, and stayed on back roads because I felt more comfortable that way. And, and so it's just that's that's kind of thinking neutrally, you know, as opposed yeah. to, hey, it could still be a great day. Like I acknowledge like it sucked. And it's funny. Maria Menounos is a really good friend. She's like, hey, Trev, you don't have to always, you know, go to that like win the day thing. I was like, look, for two hours, it sucked. <laughs> I was scared. I was terrified. Sean and I are running to get the lady out of the car, all the people. Plus, you're in L.A. Nobody's stopping. Everybody's Nobody. giving you a half, a half a peace sign. <laughs> you, you know, and, and, and so screaming things. You know, the cops are all over the place. But everybody was great. I mean, the fire department, everyone else was like, the guy's like, hey, man, you don't want to go to the hospital, do you? I was like, what? You know, or I was like, you know, no. You know, he's like, how do you feel? I was like, my back's like jacked, but. You know, and I woke up today, my back felt fine. Fortunately, my neck felt like it had not pointed. it. But uh, anyways, um, it was bad. I acknowledge it. There were consequences. Yeah. Could have been worse. Uh, but obviously, I don't have a car anymore. But uh, I was able to, to finish the day um, better, um, you know. And then um, last night, I had an option. Do you watch the news to catch up on the world? Or do you watch Big with Tom Hanks? And I watched Big with Tom Hanks. Nice. You know, nice. because like I've been telling people, I don't really need to know what's going on in Italy. I need yep. to know that stay in my house, groups of less than 10, wash my hands. If I, if I have to go to a meeting or whatever, come back, change all my clothes, wash those clothes, do the very best that I can right now. If I do feel symptomatic or whatever I've got going on, um, you know, take basic medications, load up on airborne vitamin C and get rest and yep. just do all the different elements and things. That's what I'm going to control going on Twitter and seeing that 7,500 people died yesterday in Italy is not helpful for me. I agree. I agree. It's, it's a fear-based society that we live in. 
And I mean, that's what drives, that's what drives decisions and people living in fear. And, and what I love that you're talking about and thinking and thinking neutrally is, is no, you're not avoiding the things that happened in the past. You're being honest with them. You're, you're, you're taking them head on being honest with them, but still like, okay, they happen. Yeah. Okay. But I'm still going to make the most out of it. So you're not just, you're not dwelling in it, but you make the most out of it without having to just brush it under the rug like a lot of people do. And, there's, and that's where I think yeah. players appreciate it. Yes, you know, yeah, and, and for I sure. the book, you know, because last year I did the, the, the mental conditioning for the Mets. My buddy who went to Crespi out here in L.A. is a GM, Brody Van Wagen, and he was great. And nice. I did 30 to 40 days and just got him started, and they got a really good consultant this year that's going to be there full time. Yeah, it, yeah. Cut out there for a second. Keep keep going, man. That was that was awesome. Keep going. Oh, weird. Yeah. So so, anyways, like Albert Breer, Andy Staples, um, uh, Greg uh, Bishop. You know the guys that voted on the world's best brain trainer, Sports World best brain trainer. They didn't know anything. Like you know, so everyone's like, oh my god. You, and, you know, wow, you're in the magazine with Julio Jones, and you got all this marketing. I never even got a phone call from that. I'm appreciative of it. And I know that those guys believe it and any question connected, all those guys have called me about this thing, you know, Hey, what are you recommending to people and all those elements, but I'm not on Anderson Cooper right now or any of those things. And, um, you know, like, and and when they're asking, it's just a matter right now of, um, uh, you know, you, you have, you have a brand and you have a, a, a little bit of that perception, but, but I think the I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, I think the players uh, appreciate, um, you know, uh, a message that makes sense relative to them. I think the idea of being neutral doesn't force anybody to leap. And going back to the example of no matter where I've been or what teams I've worked with, I knew when I got in front of those 78 players last year to start the season for the Mets that every one of those players are like, F this dude. Yeah, I know Every one I'm yes. looking at, you know, I'm looking at all those like that's how they all were, yes. you know, with the exception of maybe Robbie Cano, who's a really good personal friend, and and you know, a few others. And I know the GM's like sweating. And I've <laughs> I've been doing it for 18 years. And 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 but that's why I want to make the information. I'm not asking you to make a leap. This is what negative externalization does for you. This is what negative consumption does for you. When you come out and you're not hitting well or whatever, and you say, I can't hit crap today, you've in the, increased the probability for your next three at-bats by 70 times that you won't get a hit. Yep. So I'm not telling you to say the alternative. I'm just saying know the consequences. And if you say, well, hey, man, I need to do that, then do it. But that's what dumbasses do. And if you could stay more neutral uh, in an at bat and make each moment have a history and life of its own, which it does anyways, you're going to have a chance. And, uh, and, and so that's where you try to keep them true information, but also uplifting things too, you know, that they can sure. do it uh, if they get behind the right behaviors and right things. And, and who's to say the Mets can't go 86 and 76, you know, like they did last year. So, uh, you know, and I think it's a combination of being honest, but also giving them a message that, that says, if, if I get, if I do these things, it could be different. And that's what I think the world needs to hear right now. You know, like mm-hmm. a month ago, everybody was killing China. Oh my God. But no one's talking about China anymore because they're on the other side of this thing. Man. You know? So we, we will get to the other side of this thing. Um, and, and uh, but we gotta be smart.
you know, all yep. of us. And, and, and if it happens, if we catch it or something, you know, we just got to hang in there and stay in the fight. Like we all know how to do. And yeah. nobody fights like Americans. Absolutely. I love it, man. You're juicing me up over here. You got your dad's motivational speaking blood in you for sure. Yeah. Hit, hit me with this stat that I've heard. I, Ever, ever since I got turned on to you, I've been I've been literally listening to everything that you do, everything that you've been talking about. And one thing that really stuck out to me that you kind of touched on there is is the seventy percent. Like how much how much uh, negativity can multiply and take take it to another level? I think I think it was seventy percent is is the number 70, that you had seventy. 70 times the power. Seventy times the power. Yes. So meaning so so break that down real quick here. For the audience, what what you mean by that? Well, I mean, just it, 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 the book really does a good job of it, of explaining all we really tried to prove was that negative thinking or the externalization of negativity uh, was really bad for you. Yeah, and 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 there's really no debate about it. Um, you, it the hard to prove the data the other way, but not not that way. Right. But basically, um, you know, the way we're we're hardwired is we receive negativity, um, you know, a lot at, at 40 to 70 times the power, uh, that we receive positivity. So a negative message just resonates with us so much more than a positive message. Look at our politics today. Jeez. You know, you think a positive sure. message has no, no, no chance. I think a neutral message, which is more truth-based about what we can be if we do these things could be really powerful. Uh, but, uh, and then I think it all comes down to the idea of psychogenics, which is what type of tolerance do you have psychologically to handle negativity? You know, for me coming off of surgery, um, I, I don't quite have the resilience I would normally have. So I, I I'm unfortunately can't watch any TV right now. I just don't have the, the psychological tolerance to be around negativity or consume it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but you know, so, I, uh, but there are people, you know, if you run an NBA team right now and you're responsible for 150 staff and players, you got to talk to Adam Silver and different types of things. You need to know what's going on. You know, you have an international sport that that's, you know, in Europe as well as China. Uh, you know, you need to know. And, and so, so you better be able to consume that. But you also better d- disseminate and give your, your players the information that they yeah. need. So yeah. it just the simple fact to go back to your original uh, your question is, uh, is negativity is a lot more powerful than positivity. And when it's externalized, it's at its most powerful. When you're saying mm. about, you know, when you're externalizing things that you don't want to have happen or are happening that you don't like, you're relitigating and reliving those things by saying them. People, what if I don't say them, then they don't, like, what, you want me to lie? Um, no one's asking you to lie, but there are consequences to what you say. Lying would be telling you to say the opposite. We're just saying Good when point. you say uh, when an accident happens in your cargo, so you say it's going to be another one of those days, then I would increase the probability by 70 times that at seven o'clock last night, David, I said, I told you so. Yes. Damn, that's beautiful. Trevor, that's so good. I could, I could, I could talk to you for days, man. You have yeah. so much. Well, we will, man. We're, yes. We're a neighboring town. So, so once we get uh, in and out of this and, in, 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 in the next few weeks, next few months, uh, you know, we'll uh, uh, 
you know, we'll, we'll absolutely, be absolutely, man. Before you jump off here, I'm gonna hit you with just two rapid fire questions, and then how everybody sure. can follow you. What is? Do you have a favorite mindset quote that drives you? That that drives your their ha- your habits, your rituals, something that you live by? Yeah, you know, it's a great question, um, uh, and I think there's kind of a lot, but but uh, um, probably the one that's really impacted me the most is from the Olympic gold medalist, Michael Johnson, um, uh, where it's, uh, you don't get gold medals for beating somebody. You get gold medals by beating everybody. Ooh, love it. You know, I think that's a really powerful in terms of the population you and I work with. Beautiful, Trevor. How can we all follow you? How can we just, I mean, we'll link to the, to the book in the show notes, your website, what all can we do to be followed? uh, so in the sports world, I have, you know, trevormoad.com, T-R-E-B-O-R-M-O-A-W-A-D.com. Um, uh, business-wise, B2B, B2C, thinkbig-gofar.com. That's a corporate company with Russell Wilson. Uh, and then on social media, we're at Trevor Moad, T-R-E-V-O-R-M-O-A-W-A-D. Uh, we're new to Instagram, but I, I think we're moving the needle with Instagram. I think we post a lot of cool, uh, really a lot of uh, di- digital videos. Yeah, and you do. I I, I, fo- I follow you, and I think you were just on. A, we we're yeah. pretty good, and then uh, we just joined LinkedIn a little while ago too. So we're moving the needle. We're no David Nurse, but we're. <laughs> you're out there, man. Right before this, I saw you're on Instagram Live, so you're getting the hang of it. I'm getting the hang of it. Yeah, you got it. I, I definitely like Instagram. I I don't yeah. really understand LinkedIn. Yeah, um, you know, I'm with you. Twitter, Twitter's you know fine. I'll put some things out there every now and then, but Instagram I do definitely like. And then I'll watch TikTok. If I was still married, my wife's awesome. My ex-wife, we get along great. We we would we would kill TikTok. Yeah, me my blast. that's awesome. Me and my wife are getting into that, so that's the next step for us. Well, your next one, send me some videos. I will. Uh, and then uh, email Sean. Get my cell phone and let's stay plugged in. Okay, dude. Absolutely, man. Thanks for your time. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We'll go grab lunch or something when this thing all blows over. Perfect, man. Thanks, dude. Thanks for reaching out. You're the best, Trevor. Take care, man. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap on this week's episode of the 1% Podcast. Thank you so much for giving your time to me and listening to the 1% Podcast. Without you, none of this would be possible. The feedback, the reviews, the ratings you give this podcast help to grow the audience and the reach for us to be able to bring on new guests each week and provide that 1% daily steps we can all implement from top NBA players, high performers, and just from amazing people doing amazing things to better this world. And it's all because of you. And if you could, I will shout you out. Personally, thank you. Leave a review on iTunes or the podcast app on your phone. Five stars if you love it. One star, of course, if you hate it. And leave a comment of what you liked about it or questions, suggestions that you might have. Post on social media and tag me at David Nurse NBA, and I will repost the reviews the podcast gets. I'll shout you out personally for sure. Thank you so much for being the best community, the best family, the best 1% squad. So blessed for all of you out there. Now go out there today and speak a word of encouragement into someone. You can and you will make a difference.